Do you think sometimes you overthink your relationships? Maybe your kind of internal dialogue gets in the way of really enjoying being with your partner. Today, we're gonna to be talking about that frustration we can have with our own thoughts, where sometimes thinking too much can be problematic. If you'd like to find out how to improve your relationship, head over to therelationshipmaze.com, where you can take our free online argument style quiz, uh, and press subscribe right now so you can tune into every episode. Welcome to today's podcast and today we're going to be talking about overthinking because it's that balance between you know the usefulness of self-reflection but when we may go a little bit too far with it. So what you're uh, referring to there is this idea that you are that you're constantly thinking about yourself. Is that uh, the idea of uh, who am I? What am I doing? Am I doing the right thing? Um, what's my purpose in life? These kind of questions. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, mm. because it's useful to think about ourselves and our behaviours mm. regularly just to kind of learn from that. But the problem is, when we start overthinking everything, when we start contemplating, is this the right thing? Is that the right thing? Will people like me? You know, sometimes this can become very problematic mm. uh, and even can lead into some types of narcissistic behavior. Mm. But particularly, it can be damaging in relationships. Mm. Yeah, so where you are basically, I think the difficulty also with, with this kind of uh, behavior is that you become almost too over-focused on yourself, yeah? So it's this idea that you're always, uh, you're so focused on yourself that you also assume that everyone else is focused on you. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is a big thing with social anxiety, where we see mm. this, where um, people who have social anxiety, there's that constant internal monologue about what will people think of me? How are they going to judge me? Are they going to think I'm... Um, intelligence, they're going to think I'm overweight or whatever it happens to be, there's always this internal dialogue going on mm. which is constantly focused on the self. Mm. When I've worked with people in public speaking and helping to get people over nerves for public speaking, often I'm trying to get them to focus on the audience. How are they responding? How are they feeling? So taking the attention away from what's going on inside to other people. Mm -hmm. and, and that's challenging for a lot of people. Yeah. Very. But it's when we've got this constant internal dialogue, just thinking, you know, what's going on for me? What are, gonna, what are people going to think of me? Mm. Rather than thinking, how can I help these other people to feel uh, comfortable? How can I help these other people to in, you know, have, a, have a nice time, whatever it is, uh, that shifts the focus. Yeah, because the difficulty is that you get into this cycle, don't you? Particularly if you think that... Uh, and of course, this is a very common presentation with somebody who struggles with low self-esteem, social anxiety, um, this idea that other people will pay attention to me all of the time. Everything I say, everything I do, they will notice. Um, and it creates this constant um, imagined feedback loop. So you always feel like, you know, that they're, they're noticing that I'm a bit uh, quiet today. They're noticing that I've used um, a word that I shouldn't have used or they notice that I've said uh, a sentence that I shouldn't have said. Um, <clears throat> and because that's the internal dialogue all of the time and the thinking all of the time, that creates um, often a kind of awkwardness in the relationship with other people. Um, that creates a bit of hesitation, for example, 
that uh, the person, the other person might notice, which in turn might uh, might actually mean that they step back a little bit from you. And of course, then you take that as feedback that you're not likable and that everything that you have thought has been validated, of course, and you've been right. So it creates this sort of weird cycle, not weird cycle, it creates a cycle um, <clears throat> that you get stuck in that... Um, You've, uh, you've sort of, it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? Because you think that other people will um, not like you, will notice all the all the faults that, that the faults that you have. Um, <clears throat> they actually, you kind of highlight them in a way. Yes, absolutely. So we create the the dynamic, and we create the kind of uh, responses through our own behaviors that force us to then interpret it as being true. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other person may not find it easy to talk with us for a very different reason, not because they think that we're kind of not worthy or whatever it happens to be, mm-hmm. but because we are hesitant because of whatever that dialogue is going on in our head that stops us from doing us in the first place. Mm-hmm. So absolutely, that's that's a really key thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, just also recognising that all of this internal dialogue And so this voice in your head I'm talking about, these this self-talk mm. or the images we make in our mind, mm. all of this has we've learned. Mm-hmm. So it's nothing to do with you. You weren't born like this. We weren't born like in in our pram. You know, when we come into our pram, we're not there thinking like, are people going to judge me on the fact that I'm not very good at maths or, mm. you know, that I don't know, like, um, I don't know my geography too well. I say that because that's my weakness. Yes. Um, and, you know, that, that's something we develop later on because of maybe things people have said to us, maybe the way they've related to us, or even we've witnessed with other people. Like mm-hmm. if we've seen at school, um, and I've seen this with pe- quite a few people that I've worked with, where they've seen someone else at school getting bullied and they don't want to get bullied, so they have to act in a certain way and try to be someone they're not mm. because they want to avoid that happening to them. Mm. So it can even, even breathe through observation. Mm-hmm. And then there's this constant sense that I need to behave like this, I need to do this. Mm. Otherwise, you know, at the back of the mind, we've probably forgotten the reason we started doing it. But it's always, it's like there's this fight or flight response that gets triggered in similar situations. Mm. Like going to a social situation and uh, we suddenly feel actually, you know, maybe people will, won't like me. Maybe if I don't behave in this way, people will think I'm not good enough. Mm. We don't remember that. Actually, that's some learned thing from when we were six because we witnessed someone else in the school ground getting bullied. Mm. But that our brain has stored it. There's that part of your brain, the amygdala, which is there really for safety. It looks for danger. Mm. It stores all, you know, we have all of these experiences stored up. So whenever there's this similar situation, that part becomes active, we get this internal dialogue. And essentially, you know, that can, that, that's where it's coming from. But the important thing I think here is that that is not you, it's something that was learned. Mm. Yeah, so I think what you are touching on, and that was a thought I was just holding, is that When we're talking about overthinking, <clears throat> thinking too much, we're also we're talking about kind of monitoring all of the time, isn't it? It's this kind of desire, not this desire, because it's automatic, um, because it's uh, it's uh, triggered by um, fight, flight, freeze responses in the brain. It's this constant monitoring for danger, isn't it? You're always on the lookout, like a meerkat, for uh, harm that might be done to do, uh, be done to you through another by another person. So you always automatically kind of prepare for self-defense. Um, so you're in this kind of rather rigid position 
of um, of looking out for for danger. Um, and then, of course, that creates, as I said, as I said earlier on, that creates particular behavior patterns that actually might feed into your belief even further. Yeah, and and I think the biggest problem is. Because we have language, mm. because as humans we develop parts, uh, the cortex in our brain, which basically you know means we have language processing, we have the ways of self-reflecting, mm. as opposed to animals, like a cat or a dog. They might get in a situation where they're afraid of something, but then, you know, 10 minutes later they're just back to normal. Mm. Whereas we can dwell on it because of our language. We play it through in our minds, we self-reflect it. Mm. Language can be great. It can allow us to create wonderful poetry. It can allow us to create buildings. And this is part of our ability to plan and do wonderful things. Mm. But it's we're the only species that could go onto a beautiful beach somewhere that could be the most wonderful place in the world. And just all the time we're there, constantly be thinking, oh, this thing that happened at work, I can't Mm. let it go. Yes, exactly. So we can make any wonderful experience awful, Mm. or we can make awful experiences more one I won't maybe not wonderful but kind of bearable or even kind of something we can learn from because of our capacity for language mm. so I think it's it's that ability to dwell on things that comes from the fact that it's not just the fight or flight response it's mm. then what we do with it afterwards because of the thinking mm. and these learned thoughts that we've learned throughout our life mm. Well, yeah. So, I mean, I suppose the question that comes up for me really here is, uh, so what's what's healthy thinking? You know, what's what's the line here between healthy thinking where, you know, you use, as you say, your neocortex, you do the reflective piece, you think about thinking, you think about something that you've done, um, you can kind of, you can kind of assess, um, you can plan. These are all sort of, these are all, you know, very positive qualities, of course. Um, so where's the line here between healthy thinking and overthinking? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's a difficult one. I think, mm. you know, first thing as well is that in a relationship, too much thinking can get in the way of being present. Yeah. So I think you know, we have our ability to really enjoy our experience or be fulfilled in our experience. So whatever word you want to put to it, mm. through our ability to be present and engage with the moment. Mm. And at those times, thinking can get in the way. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we're on the beach with our partner or, or we're going out on a date. Mm. Being able to be fully engaged with that person without thinking, am I going to say the right thing? Should I be doing this? Mm. That's the only way we can really be fully engaged in that moment. But when there's thinking, too much thinking going on, it takes us away from actually what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a good question there as well with the planning and other things mm-hmm. is, Asking yourself a question, is this useful or not? Is Mm -hmm. thinking this way useful? Is even planning this useful or not? Or is Mm -hmm. it just something I'm doing because I've got this fear response that my brain is triggering Mm -hmm. that often goes back to other things from the past? Mm -hmm. Yeah, in particular, have you noticed that it's um, obsessive thinking? Because very often this goes hand in hand with these kind of uh, repetitive thoughts, doesn't it? Um, a lot of these thoughts are are thoughts that you probably have on a regular basis again and again and again. So it's like a sort of needle stuck on the groove here uh, of a record player that you play, play again and again. So maybe um, it might be quite helpful also if you recognize these particular repetitive um, thoughts that go through your mind, that you might write them down. So that might be just a sort of starting point to to see what is it that comes up again and again for me. 
then that might enable you to also stand back a little bit more. Uh, so one thing, and I think we've talked about this in, in a previous podcast as well, in our podcast on rumination, for example. So what you want to do sometimes when you have these repetitive thoughts is to kind of develop a different relationship with them, to stand back from them. So you might, for example, once you've written them down, you might want to repeat these uh, thoughts out loud by saying them in a funny voice that kind of distorts them a little bit, that kind of highlights how silly some of these thoughts are, for example, that you don't have to take them seriously. You can develop a different relationship with them. So read them out with a Mickey Mouse voice or a funny accent, for example, and see whether that might help you in developing a slightly different relationship with them and take them, taking the power away from them. Yeah, and I think it's sometimes those thoughts as well, like we do something and then think, why did I do that? Mm. Or how could I have done that? And we start feeling bad about it for sometimes weeks. Mm. And I think the thing is, if you've done something, you've done it, it's over. Mm. So it's just recognising that. And I think importantly asking yourself the questions, well, what can I learn from this? How can I do something differently next time? Because mm -hmm. it's what we learn from that's important. Mm -hmm. We all do silly things sometimes. We say the wrong thing or something comes out the wrong way. And, you know, it's it's like everybody everybody has a situation, particularly if we're under stress. Mm -hmm. If we've got that fight-flight response, the logical reasoning part of our brain pretty much shuts down. Mm -hmm. So sometimes, you know, things do come out. And it's not an excuse, but it's about realising for next time, how can I learn from this? What can I do differently? Because I don't want to repeat that same pattern of behaviour, but try not to also judge yourself too harshly based on what we have done. Mm. Because what we do at the time is really, we make the choices based on the best choice we believe we have at that time. Mm. And I know a lot of people who, you know, if, if you've grown up in, in a very challenging environment, it can feel like you don't have choice. Mm. You know, if you've grown up in, in a very challenging fa you know, family situation schooling with you know in in terms of um i'm trying to think of the words where you know very deprived background mm -hmm. and I've, I've worked with many people who often feel they don't have a choice and it's only when they realize that there are choices that they actually have choice mm. i think it's too easy to say to people well you could have chosen a different you could have chosen to do something different mm. but until we're aware of those choices we don't really have the choice I think helping to have flexibility, helping to see choices in the future and realise, okay, this is what happened this time. What could I do differently? Mm. What can I learn from that? That's where we grow. That's where we develop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think often um, this is the difficulty, isn't it? When uh, when you get stuck on that groove and you think, oh, um, I should have done this, I should have said that, da-da-da-da. Um, you don't, of course, think that you have a choice at this point because also there's an underlying assumption that there's one right way of being in a situation, one right way of interacting, one right way of uh, having conversations with people, one one right way of being in the world, basically. And of course there aren't. There isn't one. There isn't one right way. There's There, there are many different ways in which you can interact with people. But it often, I think, I find when I work with clients who have these kind of continuous thoughts, repetitive thoughts, they think that there is a particular way that they, sh they should find. Um, it sort of ties in very loosely, I think, also to this idea of perfectionism, that there's one perfect way, one 
great best way of being in social situations, interacting with other people, etc. Um, so it's sort of built on these sort of faulty assumptions, so to speak, that um, that there is a that there is a right way, and of course there isn't. Yeah, and perfectionism itself is that repetitive thought. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, which we've learned at some point. We've learned, mm. you know, it, it's this repetitive thing. It's it's been to some extent. It's like these these voices or these kind of records in our head that get played in certain situations. And every time we're in that situation, our mind puts on this recording mm. from the past of like, you should do this right. You need to do this perfectly. Otherwise, you're a failure or whatever it says. Mm. And th this gets played. Mm -hmm. But also remembering that, you know, when you were that baby, you didn't have those records going on. This is something that was learned. Mm. And when we think sometimes, well, you know, I said something now because that's that's who I am. Mm. Well, 15 years ago, would you have said that same thing? Probably not. You might have said it differently. Mm -hmm. When you were very, very small, you know, when you were first learning to talk, you certainly wouldn't have said the same thing. No. And... So we change our behaviours, our thoughts and feelings change. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that we change as a person because there's something that's more consistent within us. It's like we feel that we're the same person, but within that, our behaviours, if we look back, our thoughts over the 10, 15, 20 years, they have changed. Yeah, they get, yeah. They get, uh, they adapt, don't they, yeah. to new experiences. Yeah, and so yeah. knowing that, you know, just because you have that thought, that thought doesn't make you you that's just a thought that you've learned it's one of these parts of you mm. but that doesn't define you and being able to kind of realize that those thoughts are really really learned and we can learn new ways of thinking new ways of being but first of all we have to detach from it don't we we have to learn to detach from these particular thoughts to not uh, think of them as the truth not as the only you know not to think of them as the only way of being able to think and that's not that's the challenge really isn't it yeah, and like in, in ACT, so acceptance and commitment therapy, that would be called diffusion because mm -hmm. we get fused with these thoughts mm -hmm. where we feel they're like real. Mm -hmm. So like, I am not good enough, where it feels like, well, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. we're, we're not realising that actually this was learned. This was learned through, you know, maybe sort of things people said to us or things we witnessed or things we picked up on when we were younger that, you know, they're just they were other people's opinions frequently mm -hmm. but that's not you it's learned and I think that's the first part of detaching is remembering that your experiences have led you to have those thoughts and feelings that you have in certain situations today mm. but you didn't make those situations those situations happened to you when you were younger yeah. But now you have the choice about are you going to continue letting those old things run you or are you going to be able mm. to take more control? Are you going to, be, you know, be able to think, you know, who's driving the bus, basically? Yes. It's like, are you just going to be a passenger to your mind or are you going to drive the bus and have those thoughts and feelings become those passengers? Mm. They're going to be there. They're going to chatter away. Yeah. yeah. But you can choose where you go and just know that, you know, that becomes background noise as opposed to something that that controls you. Yeah, because it's not your identity. I think this is the difficulty, isn't it? That this uh, very often there's this confusion between thoughts and being and self and identity. So this idea that you are your thoughts. Um, your thoughts, you create them. And of course, there is an interaction, um, but they're not, they are, they are adaptable. The thoughts can be changed. 
Um, or you can have, or you can develop a different relationship with your thoughts, which is the act premise, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's a little bit like well, behind mm-hmm. us, if, on the, if you're watching the video on YouTube, mm-hmm. uh, you see there's some paintings. Now, if I had a microscope and I just looked at a tiny bit of that painting, I'm going to see one element of it, like one color, mm-hmm. and I may get really focused on that one color, thinking, well, this must be the identity of this. This is what this this is. Mm-hmm. But then when we zoom back, we see actually there's a blend of colors, a blend of textures that this is only part of something else. Mm-hmm. The whole thing is is much bigger than that. Mm. It's yeah. There's the similar analogy, isn't there, with uh, with the elephant and blind people? You heard that? I know. Do you want to? I can't quite remember how it goes, but it's something like that. When you have a you have an elephant in a room and uh, a number of people who um, are blind and have never met an elephant in their life before, so they're asked to describe the elephant and they touch the elephant. They might oops. They might touch the leg. They might touch the 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 trunk of the elephant. So they would then describe what an elephant is based just on that one experience. And because they can't see the whole elephant, um, they will all have a very different notion of what, what constitutes an elephant. So it's that sort of idea. Is that, that how, that's how um, reality gets constructed. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we, we learn from that experience and it's being open to that just because we've had those learnings doesn't mean that we always have to go along with them in the future. Mm. It's challenging, but you can change them. And mm-hmm. in relationships, again, just going back to you know those thoughts we spoke about before we started the podcast. Um, you see, I've I've known some people who may be more on the avoidant side of attachment styles, who um, they start to question relationships very quickly after that honeymoon period, mm-hmm. and after just one little question, like is this really the right person for me? Mm-hmm. They then think, I oh, know they can't be. So they, they detach from it. Mm-hmm. Like even for things as simple as, well, you know, I was getting home late one night. My partner didn't go and kind of meet me down the road and walk me back up the street. When maybe they'd had a long day at work, didn't even realise what time the partner was getting there. But to mm-hmm. them, that's like, well, this must mean this isn't the right person for me. Mm-hmm. Rather than seeing the bigger picture mm-hmm. and seeing that there are times that other people do things that, you know, maybe to us, uh, you know, a little bit upsetting, mm. but that may be things that are triggered on that one time but don't represent the whole story. Mm-hmm. And then there's the, obviously the, the anxious attachment style that uh, mm-hmm. might respond differently. I mean, if you would like to give an example of, you know, some of those thoughts and maybe Yeah, just an, uh, just an assumption that the other person is never there for you. You constantly look for evidence. It's like evidence bias, isn't it? You constantly look for evidence that... Um, the other person doesn't actually care about you or is really interested in you. And you will, of course, the longer you look, the more you'll find the evidence. You'll always find some. Every um, uh, every scrap of behavior is interpreted in a particular way. So it's, it's this kind of lens, isn't it, through which you decide to view another person as being uh, the right person for you, available to you. Either uh, Either it's the avoidant lens or it's the anxious lens, absolutely. Yeah, and being aware as well that when we're having those thoughts, that these are our thoughts, but they may not represent the real situation. Mm. These thoughts may be thoughts, you know, just echoes from the past Mm. that just kind of interfere with our ability to actually engage fully now. Mm -hmm. Of course, some of these thoughts may be perfectly valid and may be useful to listen to. Mm -hmm. But the question is, is it useful or isn't it? Yeah, that's really ultimately the question here, really. You know, are these helpful thoughts? Do they enable me to grow, to develop, 
do they enable me to have meaningful relationships in my life? Um, if the answer is yes, then you're probably not overthinking, then you probably, your thinking is fine. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. And we all need to think, of course, for a number of reasons. But if you find that you get caught up in the same net of very unhelpful thoughts, I think then there's a difficulty, isn't there? Yeah, and, and to be honest, I think most of us at time to time, you know, from time to time, will get caught up in unhelpful sure. thoughts. I think, of course. I think we all do. Of course. You know, and, and it's being aware of that and then mm. learning to step back from it. Mm. So we can engage more in, in what's going on right now. Yeah, yeah. I think the question is really, to what extent does it impact on your life? To what extent does it stop you from developing etc and from to what extent do these unhelpful thoughts um, stop you from develop from developing meaningful relationships for example that's i think that's really is the question isn't it yeah absolutely mm. so thank you for tuning into today's podcast and please subscribe so you can listen to each episode and recommend this to a friend um, head over to the relationshipmaze.com where you can take our free online argument style quiz and discover your conflict style in relationships and we look forward to speaking with you next week take good care until then bye